You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. I'm a huge fan of High Sierra showerheads for many reasons, including how they are incredibly water efficient, they provide tremendous water pressure, and they're made from solid metal with no plastic parts. I also love supporting a small business that's based in the High Sierra foothills where their team designs and assembles all of the showerheads with parts from suppliers in California. This is a U.S. company. I've spent time talking with owner David Malcolm. He's concerned about the pressures facing our water resources and wants to make a difference. That's why he's focused his company on water conservation and energy efficiency. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Going to be talking with some guests today about the ocean race, the incredible around-the-world sailing race that takes up to nine months. And I really want to hear from these folks about what's happening out there on the ocean, what's happening with sustainability efforts, and so much more. Joined by Anne Cecile Turner. She is Sustainability Director for the Ocean Race. Anne Cecile, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And I have Simon Fisher, also goes by Sci-Fi. We'll get we'll get right to friendly terms here. He is co-skipper for the Eleventh Hour Racing Team. Thanks for coming on as well. No, thanks very much for having me. So, for people that might not be familiar with the Ocean Race, um, what is it? It's so a race around the world um, with stops um, with a with a crew. So there's, there's a number of around the world races. Some go non-stop. Uh, some are single-handed, and and, and our race is. Uh, yeah, the, the fully crewed race around the world with uh, with various stopovers in different places around the world. And, uh, and this race has been going since since the early 70s and has uh, continued to sort of grow and become more professional, more competitive. And uh, I guess uh, from my position now, I, I get lumped into the veteran category, having done it <laughs> done it five times. But, yeah, it's, it's an incredible challenge. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I really love being part of the team taking on this challenge is sport, but it's also adventure. And then, you know, we find ourselves in some of the most remote places on the world when we do this. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredible uh, adventure and challenge and, and, yeah, an incredibly competitive sport as well. We're, uh, because we're, we're, we're racing crude, obviously, there's people on deck sailing all the time, working hard, uh, no, 24-7. I mean, people who don't understand or, or know about sailing often ask what we do at night. Do we stop? Do we drop the anchor? But no, it's... Uh, it's uh, it's full pace, you know, twenty four seven for up to three weeks usually with uh, with the longer legs, and uh, you know that's you know it's, it's nice sailing in the day, and then sometimes it's like driving down the motorway with all the lights off at night. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a great race, and uh, and something that's been a real passion of mine. So it's a pleasure to be able to, to join you and talk a bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. And Cecile, anything you want to add to describing describing the ocean race from your perspective? Yeah, well, from the event perspective, it's, uh, you know, we can't, the, the admiration the, the people on land have for these guys who can achieve the impossible at sea. And uh, we, we feel that the, all the values and the qualities you, you have to win this race, you know, are really uh, transferable to what needs to happen uh, at land on all our sustainability challenges. So, you know, very big hats off for these guys, for sure. 
Yeah. Well, I love Simon that you mentioned the adventure aspect, you know, not being a sailor myself, but being a, you know, an adventurous person. It's, it sounds so awesome to get to be able to circle the world, circle the planet, you know, see all these different parts of the ocean, stop, you know, swing by all the different continents and uh, see everything along the way. I mean, tons of hard work, obviously grueling, but, but such an adventure, huh? Yeah, and uh, yeah, for sure, it can be hard, it can be tough, and you know, you get a bit shortchanged on sleep, and uh, <laughs> you find yourself wet and cold and miserable at times, I guess. But um, you also get to see some fantastic sights and, and see some beautiful things, and uh, yeah, we're really lucky to be able to sort of witness some, some things out, out there in the world that yeah, very few people get to see. I think uh, you know, more people have climbed Everest than have sailed around the world, and uh, mm. you know, when we're in the in the Southern Ocean. Racing across the bottom of the planet. At, at, at one stage, we go past Point Nemo, which is uh, you know the furthest point from land, and actually the, the closest other people to you, uh, aside from your other competitors, uh, uh, the people on the International Space Station, which is like, quite a nice anecdote, but it sort of gives you a, an idea of how uh, remote this race gets. Wow, I had never heard that. That is amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are out there. Yeah, I don't think, you know, people don't realize, I think the size of, of even the Southern Ocean, right? Just how how vast that is down there. Um, could you quickly, someone outline just the, the path uh, around the world and, and where this race goes? Um, yeah, sure. So we um, we start in Europe, we'll be starting uh, next year in Alicante in, uh, in the Mediterranean. And then we... Uh, we race out, out of the Mediterranean and uh, down the Atlantic, the, planning to stop in Cabo Verde, and then we continue down the Atlantic to uh, Cape Town, so the bottom of Africa. There'll then be a race from there up to, um, up to Asia, up to China. So uh, we take on the Indian Ocean and uh, into the South China Sea, and then uh, from there it's back down the Pacific to New Zealand. Um, from New Zealand we go yeah, across the Southern Ocean, around Cape Horn, up to Brazil, and then... And they're back up the Atlantic to the to the US before going back to Europe and having a number of sprint stages at the end. So yeah, you really uh, mm. do touch on on all the continents and uh, and all the oceans of the world. Uh, no no time to stop and hang out in the tropics and in the in the Pacific. I see, just kind of skirt down skirt down along the bottom there. <laughs> um, well, let's get into what you guys you know see out there. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Uh, how sailors are really serving as the eyes of the ocean, you know, through all the time they're they're out at sea, and and what changes you all have seen over the years, you know, in the environment, in in the water, um, in the marine life, and and all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I guess it's it's interesting. I've been doing this for for fifteen years now, and uh, when I think about what I've seen, like the ocean changes so rapidly that it's sometimes hard to to relate what you we've seen changing over the years but um i think it's fair to say yeah we do see more stuff in the in in the ocean than we used to and 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 not stuff you want to see i mean i guess i touched on before about how uh, you know it's an adventure and you get to very remote places and i think that's something personally i've always been been very drawn to whether whether on land or on sea it's quite it was always, always very exciting to feel that you're you're treading treading a path that no one else has and it's always been you know, very dispiriting when you stumble across a food wrapper or plastic in the ocean or something, you know, floating along. And, uh, unfortunately I think over the, over the, the period I've been doing this race, we, we do see more stuff in the water. And, um, I mean, and, and another thing I've heard and actually, um, from, from some of the guys who were, were racing their last race for the first time, they were, they were actually very dispirited about how, how little wildlife they saw. 
mm. out there, and uh, and and I think probably yeah, it's it's, it's a fair comment there. Actually, we, we maybe do see less uh, ses, ses, less sea life when we're when we're racing now than perhaps we would have used to. Luckily, we're we're still very very privileged to to, uh, to get to see some really exciting things at sea. But um, no, it's, it's 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 not very nice to think that actually the guys jumping into the sport now and doing their first race are, are seeing less than they expected. I think it's. Uh, mm. We always want to see the oceans full of life, and uh, and when you're lucky enough to see those things, it, it is really spectacular. And I heard um, even that perhaps with with global warming and and you know ice breaking off from places that that some ice is even moving further north, and and even the course of the race might be changed. Or there's having to be more attention paid to that that type of thing. Yeah, and um, yeah. So uh, I think in the in the earlier editions of the race, I mean, some some of the most iconic images that have come from this race is uh, mm. boats sailing in the deep south, dodging icebergs. Um, luckily, now we have the technology where we don't we don't have to put ourselves at the risk of hitting an iceberg. But um, yeah, I, th- I think probably if you look statistically, the uh, the line that we you know have to observe it, it, it has crept north, and uh, it, it does go up and down uh, depending on the on the race and the year. But um, I think probably there is potentially more ice out there, and and it is creeping further north. Um, mm. I'm sure one of my uh, the, the meteorologists that I get to work with could uh, could give more scientific details, but I, sure. I think that's, that's definitely a possibility. And but you mentioned also just seeing trash, right? Debris. Every it's it, the plastic pollution is such a big uh, thing we hear about in the news, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and all these other garbage patches that are stuck in the gyres of the ocean. Um, that's got to just be heartbreaking to see a lot of that stuff out there. Yeah. I may jump on this one. Uh, you remember Sci-Fi, the last edition of the race, we did actually create a global map of this microplastic concentration. And we were so surprised to see that uh, 93% of the samples were contaminated even in the location where sci-fi was mentioning, you know, the most remote part of the planet, closest human being is at the space station, there were microplastic in, in that location. So it was really the story changed across the, the collection of the data collection. It was more about where the data is isn't rather than where it is. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's that's tough. Well, I did want to get into that a little bit. The idea that um, that there's some science kind of going on um, as as part of the race. Um, so I'm curious to hear about that. Um, Sci-fi. I heard you're kind of dabbling in chemistry a little bit now. Is that is that right? Um, so yeah, what's what's going on? What what do you guys do as as far as science when you're out sailing, you know, regularly or as part of the race? Yeah, I actually have a chemistry degree, but uh, oh, it hasn't okay. Sorry, actually been that much use to me as a, as a professional <laughs> sailor over the last 20 years. So uh, actually sort of doing a bit of science on board, actually, is something I've sort of, sort of gravitated towards and got quite so- excited about. And uh, um, and Cecile obviously talked about the uh, the, the water samplers we, uh, we have on board and, and testing for microplastics. And then also what we do is uh, we have the, the ocean pack on board and that measures water temperature, pH level, CO2 content. And, uh, and this machine runs all the time with a little bit of maintenance from, from, from us on board. And it's, it's actually very exciting that we're collecting data together with the, uh, you know, with our GPS position. And then that, that data then comes off the boat at the end of the trip and, uh, gets, uh, gets scrutinized and, uh, and, uh, has actually gone into the, the, the NOAA databases. So it's actually quite, quite cool now we can go on the NOAA website and have a look and you can see our trips and all the data associated with it so we uh 
yeah, it feels very good to be con contributing to uh, to sort of environmental science. We also um, do some other stuff like uh, dropping drifter boys. So we did a transatlantic race, well, a transatlantic trip, sorry, um, last summer. And uh, and in the midst of the, of the pandemic, we've obviously been dealing with um, with less shipping. They've actually had the a lesser of opportunity to to actually drop these drifter boys, which uh, you know can contribute to weather measurement. And uh, we we were able to negotiate through through the, uh, the the team of the ocean race in in real time the best place to to drop it as we were sailing across and uh, to try and sort of fill the gaps. And then once we drop this drifter boy that that measures currents and sea temperatures and and things like that, the once it goes live, the data actually goes into the next model weather model you receive on board. So we're we're very much driven by the the data and the weather data we get on board. So it's actually really really nice to think you can you can drop this boy off to uh, to help the scientific community, and then uh, literally hours later you're actually uh, you're benefiting it from it in terms of uh, better weather weather information and weather modeling on board. So yeah, it's. it's 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 really nice to to feel you're contributing to the to the scientific community and it you know that all the different teams that are part of the ocean race is it really um, not everyone is kind of collecting data along the way this is a special focus for the eleventh hour racing team or how does that work well I can maybe jump on this one um, so last edition of the race we had the capacity and the resources to equip two boats. Um, and uh, for this edition, uh, thanks to the support for, from uh, 11th Hour Racing, who is also our, our premier founding partner of the sustainability program, uh, we will uh, enlarge this uh, capacity and um, we're going to um, equip as many boats as possible. And uh, it's also increasing the reliability of the scientific data, even if you have you know, the, the same type of location, the more data state and data points you have in that location, even though the, the, the boats are quite, uh, you know, far away from each other, it's increasing the reliability of the data. So um, it's really taking off uh, big time and not only for the value and the quality of the data, but also for the destination of this data. And uh, we are increasing our data visualization capacity and all the, you know, the links that is the, that this data is going to take to really provide a showcase from science to uh, policy and advocacy, so that people are really understanding what's happening out there, you know, science-based. That's very important for us. What about when you guys are are on land uh, and being advocates, or uh, you know? kind of spreading the word about things. Is that something sci-fi that, that you and other sailors do now because of what you see it, see out there when you're on the ocean? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, obviously being part of, uh, the 11th hour racing team with, with, with such a strong focus on sustainability, then it, it's, it's really nice to be a, an advocate for, uh, but for sustainability and um, yeah, from my perspective as well, I've, I've done this race five times. I'm going into my sixth race, so uh, you know it feels. Whilst I still actually, you know, really driven by the the sporting element, it also feels very good to be able to give something back, mm. both uh, both in terms of in in terms of the sport and also to sort of the wider community. So uh, yeah, doing our initiatives on land and, and leaving a legacy. Um, Throughout the whole team, whether it's our operations or our boat building, or uh, you know just how we conduct ourselves as advocates and and, and try and educate is, is very important. Sure. Uh, and Cecile, the event itself. So, uh, how many? There's a footprint for it, right? The the teams, the boats that are out in the ocean, the stopping points all around the world. Um, what's 
what's the impact, I guess, the environmental impact? Um, and then how are you all working to be more sustainable in that, in that footprint that you have on the ocean and, and on land? How has, how has that kind of become a priority? What are you doing? Yeah, so well, as you can imagine, it's a massive challenge for any kind of global sports event because we are transporting people and material all over the place. Um, and uh, we started the journey by, uh, we have a kind of a simple pathway. So we are assessing, reducing and uh, advocating. And um, so we've put in place a system and uh, we have a person in the organization who's really qualified and, and super expert on this, uh, this uh, to assess not only the carbon impact of the event or the greenhouse gas emissions generated by the event and its stakeholders, the three scopes, but also, you know, um, energy consumed, uh, water, all the waste, um, basically all the criteria are assessed and measured. Uh, that are also against the best um, sustainable management systems that uh, we can think of aiming at the, some certification. And, um, and the idea is really more, um, the focus is to reduce it as much as we can in every area of the organization. So uh, they are already, by optimizing the planning of the race, we can already say that we can um, plan to reduce the carbon impact by 45 up to 50%. Uh, for the next edition, uh, so that's really a big, uh, bigger exercise, um, and uh, we want to engage the, the partners and the stakeholders along the way because they're also representing a lot of the impact of the race. Uh, another example: so we are banning single-use plastic. We're, what we are integrating in the contracts with the host cities um, sustainability requirements that are also assets for them to use to communicate better to the population. Uh, the food served on site, for example. So now we have rules that uh, all the seafood served on site must be from sustainable sources. Um, so lots of, of strong um, and, and small initiatives. We also have renewable energy. We're aiming at being powered by 100% renewable energy, which is a big challenge, as you can imagine. Uh, we're going in so many different areas, you know, from Denmark, which is quite a mature uh, area in terms of sustainability to other places that where where the subject is less known. So, well, that's that's uh, uh, very comprehensive. Uh, that's amazing to hear. First of all, a forty-five to fifty percent cut in the in the carbon impact. Uh, kudos for that. But yeah, even even down to the food, right? The the seafood choices, making sure that that's sustainable. That's that's good stuff. And of course, at least these these boats are wind powered, right? You've got you've got your renewable source right right there, um, not not burning fossil fuels really as you're going around the world. What about uh, the the future? You know, you're looking at the 2022 race here. Do you are you both of you looking even further out um, at what could be achieved um, from a sustainability perspective, or what you're interested in doing, or or um, yeah, just kind of wondering about that longer term. I don't know, sci-fi, how, how long you keep racing for. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer to that question is. But no, certainly our, our, there's a great deal of effort and energy that, that, that goes on in our team to, um, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can now, but but everything we look at, we look at what we can do more in the future. And, uh, and you know, one of our big things is trying to create a sort of a paradigm shift in the marine industry to, to more sort of sustainable processes and values and 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 that, and that sort of thing so uh, um and on 
we we go about everything and and Damien and Amy who work for our team who work very hard on the sustainability front and really need no stone unturned and uh, mm. I think what what's what's very important is that that information gets transferred on and other people are able to use it so um they've been working very hard over the last 12 months creating our sustainability toolbox which I think is going to be published in June on sustainability toolbox.com. I think that's the correct uh, website address, but that'll be a, really a blueprint for, for any team or sports organization or, or business or something to, to look and, and really sort of see how they can integrate sustainable practice into, into their, uh, into their company or event or, or, or team. Um, in, in terms of the boat building, I mean, I think we're all very conscious that building carbon fiber race boats is is quite a messy process but um yeah in in that sense we, we we're doing a very detailed sort of life cycle analysis of, of all the parts that go into the boat so we can we can see what can be improved and what can be reused and uh, and and all of this information that we're gathering as we're building our boat here in uh, in france will uh, will then uh, you know be published made available for other people to use which is, which is really exciting and uh, and and yeah just just sort of changing people's minds and attitudes is is really powerful and and you can see we're planting the seeds and then people are starting to see the benefits um not only from an environmental perspective but also from a financial perspective uh, it's quite nice that our boat builders here in france have started sending back all the packaging that they use for uh for getting the the composite parts delivered and they've realized that it saves them close to ten thousand euros a year so now they're like okay what other packaging can we reuse you know it's uh, so no, no, it's very, very exciting, and uh, we're also experimenting with things like um, bioresins and and uh, natural fibers and and that sort of stuff. So um, obviously, there's some elements where we can't really tamper with the structure because it's so fundamental to the boat. But but some of the other parts, we're looking at, you know, can we build this out of natural fibers and bioresins, and it does it perform as well? And then if these things are promising, then it's it's something we can. You know, work with uh, our, our our mocker class who, who um, oversee the, the the sort of design and the, and the and the rules for the boat. And can we incorporate this into into the class and uh, for the future? So um, it's great. It, it, it's it's sort of exciting to be doing so many things now. But I think actually, the more the more we can sort of look to the future and and and, and create a blueprint for for how things can change in the future. I think the, the better. And uh, I think that's probably where. You know, we can really sort of get the snowball rolling. If you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that's cool. Hearing a lot of that. Um, you know, I, I as a a surfer myself, there's been a lot of that happening with the materials that surfboards and all the other kind of accessories are made of. Even the bioresin push, and you know, the instead of having a a fossil fuel based foam where you have a, a traction pad for your foot, they're harvesting algae and creating like a a, a grip out of you know harvested algae and using uh recycled plastic bottles to make the leashes that we you know connect our to the board and so it's cool to hear a lot of that stuff happening over on the the sailboat side um and cecile any thoughts uh from from the ocean race side on where you're driving with all of this and and how you hope to keep pushing the envelope well we've we've announced a decade of action in 20. 20 <laughs> last year and uh, so it's give, it's pu- pushing us in the, in the long term of um, of the power of the race to influence change and uh, you know we've changed the name of our sustainability program from racing with uh, from the sustainability program of the ocean race to racing with purpose 
And uh, that's the situation today. We're adding purpose to everything we do, but the future, it will be from purpose to service. And uh, we want to go beyond uh, carbon neutral. We want to create a net positive impact uh, by measuring the tangible and including the intangible benefits that the race is, is creating with you know, the awareness raising levels, uh, the increasing ocean literacy among the kids, uh, by measuring the behavior change and the new attitudes that the race has created and building a super strong legacy platform. And beyond that, we've also initiated a series of Ocean Rights Summit series that are trying to make ocean rights recognized. Mm -hmm. And how beautiful could it be if we picture ourselves in the future thinking that as humans, uh, nature and ocean will have recognized rights. And that might be the best way to um, uh, accelerate change you know, and recognize that the, the ocean has a value it's our life support system. It helps us to breathe. You know, every other breath we take, we owe it to the ocean. And it's damaged at a scale that is unprecedented. So we need to use everything, every collaboration, every partner, uh, you know, every idea we can to contribute to, to, to preserve it. Uh, and all the industry-led uh, innovation workshops and the series of ocean summits we've created to engage at the highest level people on this journey are going to be very, very strong and hopefully powerful mechanism to um, accelerate change and protect uh, what we love the most, our playgrounds, is the ocean. Yeah. Well, I'm really encouraged talking to both of you to hear all this that's happening uh, as just a, an ocean lover myself. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great to hear about. Um, thank you both for spending all this time and sharing your perspective and the information. Um, I'll try to try to pay attention to the next race coming up. Sci-fi, I'll be cheering for you guys. Um, and uh, yeah, jealous of the adventure. But thank you both for the info and for all the work you're doing. You need to come uh, and join us. <laughs> I would, I would love to. I would love to. I will follow up on that. All right. Thank you both. Take care. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Waterloop. 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 Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Save 20% with promo code WATERLOOP at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.